I invite you to turn in your Bibles to 3 John. 3 John, it's found on page 1026 in the Pew Bible in front of you. 1026 in the Pew Bible in front of you. We're going to look at verses 1 through 8. 3 John 1 through 8. Third John, 1 through 8. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, It is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, as we open your word and hear your word this morning, we ask that you would open up our hearts and minds to receive it. We ask that you would use this text to transform us into the likeness of Jesus so that we leave as changed people today. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. If we were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict us? I came across this quote in a book I was reading this week, and it led me to consider this, led me to consider this text in light of this question. If we were on trial for being a Christian, Would there be enough evidence to convict us? Could a jury convict you for being a Christian? Could people give public testimony concerning what you're about that would indicate that you are a follower of Jesus Christ? And what would this look like? That's what I want us to answer this morning as we consider this text. Because I want it to be true of all of us that we are marked by being a spiritually healthy Christian. We recognize that growing in Christ is a process that we are in, just as we watch children grow, right? Even as we watch Tegan, we see little Tegan, we watch her grow. It's a process over time that we see happen. Or if you, if you look back at pictures on Facebook, right? I see that, I think it's that time hop on Facebook. You see change happen over time. Although it might not be as noticeable on a day-to-day basis, it might be noticeable as in adults like me, just as you look at my hair disappearing. Right? I was looking at a picture. I went to the zoo the other day on Friday, and Becky took a picture, and I looked at it, and I was like, where did my hair go? <laughs> I don't remember that the last time I was at the zoo. Maybe the sun was shining. It was 70 degrees there. I don't know. 
<laughs> we recognize that change happens over time. My hope is to encourage you and to strengthen you to be growing in Christ so that you are marked as a, someone who is spiritually healthy or becoming spiritually healthy. You're getting in shape spiritually, if you will, because it is a process that takes time and effort. So I want to unpack three truths that mark a spiritually healthy Christian that we see in our text as we consider John's letter to Gaius as we seek to follow his example. So first, this is in your notes, in your outline. A spiritually healthy Christian walks in the truth. Look with me at verses 1 and 2, and then, and then we'll, we'll get some context here, and, and we'll see this greeting, and then we'll, we'll jump into 3 and 4. Okay, this is where it's ultimately John's going to unpack this to see the mark of a healthy Christian. So first, look at verses 1 and 2. The elder to the beloved Gaius whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. So in this letter, we see similarities and differences between John's other letters, specifically 2 John, which we looked at over the last two weeks. In 2 John, these complement one another well. In 2 John, we looked at there was a warning in extending hospitality to false teachers. Okay, this is what the book was about as a whole. Because if you supported false teachers, you were now approving and sharing in their work. And now in this letter, John commends Gaius for showing hospitality to faithful teachers of the Lord. And he condemns the lack of hospitality by Diotrephes, which we'll look at next week in 9 and following. And in this opening greeting, John, as the elder, as a, as a pastor and leader of God's people, greets Gaius. He greets his dear friend, whom he loves in truth. The basis of John's relationship and love for Gaius is the truth which is a reference to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news about Jesus, about his death and resurrection for us. John holds Gaius dear to him because of their shared commitment in the gospel of Christ. Just as shared values and commitments bring people together, whether it's, whether it's being part of the same team or the same school, or the same party, or the same social class, or even, even the same family, right? Shared common commitments and values with one another brings people together. In a greater way, the fellowship and love in the gospel unites John and Gaius. They are committed to the same message and the same mission. Just as we are committed here at Pleasant Ridge, to the mission of knowing Christ and making him known. So John greets Gaius and he, he prays for him. Notice what he says in verse 2. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. John prays that Gaius would prosper and have good Physical health. 
Now, in our own day, we recognize the danger of the prosperity gospel, which is no gospel at all. It, it focuses on health and wealth in this present life. That if I trust in Jesus, God is going to bless me financially and physically. Hear me clearly this morning. You have already said it's no gospel. This is a false gospel. Reject that lie. It's not in the Bible. In fact, it is a distortion of the Old Testament. But because of this heresy, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't pray for someone to prosper, right? Or to have good health. That's what John seems to be doing here, right? It is right for us to pray for someone's business to succeed. It is right for us to pray for Pizza Ranch in Carroll, that it would succeed and, and go well. Things would go well there. It is right to pray for our farmers that they would have a good crop this year. It is right and okay for us to pray for moms as they raise their children, that things would go well for them. Or to have our marriages go well and to be honoring to the Lord. Or to have students succeed in their classes. Right? It's right and good for us to pray that our children would actually succeed in their efforts in school. We pray for Tegan, right, that she would grow physically, that she would be healthy and grow into a godly girl, right? That's what I prayed for earlier with her, that she would become a woman of the Lord. You see, love always, love always desires the best for one another. And John desires for Gaius that all in his life may go well and that he would be in good health. Now notice this. As it goes well with your soul. In other words, John prays for Gaius that he would be in good health physically just as he is spiritually. He's doing well spiritually. He is spiritually healthy. Before we unpack what this looks like to be a spiritually healthy Christian, there, there is certainly an application here for us, isn't there? If someone were to pray for you or me that my physical health matched my spiritual health, what would I look like? Would I be fit or really ill? Would I have a hidden disease that no one knows about? Would I be on life support? Would I look like an infant? Or perhaps, even as we wrestle with that application thought, I'm not sure, Sean. 
So the question that we need to address is this, right? What does it look like to be spiritually healthy? What evidence do we see in Gaius' life that declares to a jury, spiritually healthy Christian? First, we see here that Gaius is walking in the truth. Notice verses 3 and 4. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. There were believers that had been sent out to share the gospel. And when they came back to John, they testified and bore witness to what they had observed in Gaius, that he was faithful to the truth. It was observable and and recognizable by others that he stood for the gospel, that he was concerned about the truth. Gaius' spiritual reputation was known by others. They testified to his truth and that he was walking in the truth, which involves a continual, ongoing lifestyle of faithfulness to the gospel of Christ. Not, Not perfectly, right? We know that. None of us are perfect in our walk with the Lord. But he, he was characterized as practicing what he preached. This was noticeable. It was being reported about him that his walk lined up with his talk, right? And what he claimed. Gaius was walking in the truth. And John says this, that he has no greater joy than to see his children walking in the truth. For John to mention this is to encourage Gaius to continue walking in the truth, right? You've heard me say this before, and I would agree completely with what John is stating here. My greatest delight as your pastor is to see you all walking in the truth. As much joy as we experience in seeing our children succeed in what they're in, As much joy as we experience in seeing our favorite team win games, right? What a year for me. The Cubs win the World Series. The Patriots win the Super Bowl. Hopefully the Warriors will win the NBA Finals. As much joy as I experience in that, which just two weeks ago, it's, all right, I'm on to the next thing. The greatest joy for me is to see all of you walking in the truth and living for the Lord. And for your walk with Christ to be evident. As one writer put it, the elder rejoices that Gaius is no closet Christian whose religion is so private that it finds no public expression, but is known by others for his faithfulness to the truth because of his way of life. Might that be true of us? Might it it be evident to those around us that we are living for the Lord, that we are committed to the truth of the gospel, that it finds expression in our day-to-day lives and even in the life of the church. We saw an expression earlier, didn't we, 
of what it looks like to walk in the truth, with Tegan being dedicated to the Lord. Right? There's a public testimony and desire to see this little one grow in Christ. And this was public, clear to all of us as we join and partner with them in this. Might it be true of all of us because spiritually healthy Christians walk in the truth. My second point is this. A spiritually healthy Christian loves one another. Look with me at verse, verses 5 and then the first part of verse 6. Verse 5. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. John now gets to the body of his, his letter and reveals how Gaius' love has been made known. It's one thing to know the truth and be committed to the truth in order to be a spiritually healthy person. But if there is no love, then I'm not truly healthy spiritually. Sometimes we can be so firm in our stance in the truth that we don't display love, which is why the Bible in Ephesians chapter 4 says, calls us to speak the truth in love. Right? We don't emphasize one at the expense of the other. We don't dismiss love for the sake of truth. And we don't neglect truth for the sake of love. Right? Love does not mean tolerance and acceptance of everything and everyone, which is so prevalent in our own day. We must have both, and we've talked about this before, we must have truth and love. John draws our attention to love for one another. Gaius here, in a real, tangible way, expressed his love for strangers, which is quite remarkable when you think about it. He was generous, he was hospitable to these people whom he had never met. It's easy to be hospitable to those that we know, to our friends and family members. It's easy to show love for those whom we have relationships with. But it's quite another thing, and certainly difficult to show that to strangers, isn't it? Now, they are called brothers here, aren't they? Which means they're part of the family of God. So even though Gaius had never met them, they belonged to the same family, right? The church is the family of God. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. There was a, tr a true, genuine love for these strangers. Not only was his truth observable in verse 3, but now his love is visible here in verse 6. In verse 6, these strangers testified to your love before the church. So these brothers who were strangers to Gaius, they, they came back to John and reported to the church. They gave a, a public testimony about Gaius and his love. He had extended hospitality to these believers, and they bore witness to his love. It's likely that Gaius would have provided lodging, you know, housing for them, provided food for them, and, and perhaps even money. As a whole, he could say, they could say that he was generous with his resources. He provided for their various needs. 
when we as a church meet the needs of others in whatever capacity, whether it's showing hospitality, whether it's kindness to visitors, whether it's encouragement to those who are struggling, whether it's financial help for missionaries, when we meet the needs of one another, we are displaying love in a real, visible, and tangible way. I'm thankful that I, I see that here at Pleasant Ridge. I've seen, we see our love for one another, don't we? As we care for the needs of each other, as we look out for one another. Because one of the marks of a spiritually healthy Christian is that we love one another. And third and finally, a spiritually healthy Christian supports fellow workers for the truth. Look with me at the second part of verse 6 and then through verse 8. The end of verse 6 says this, You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Gaius had provided hospitality for those he did not know. He displayed love for them. And now John makes this request. And he encourages and exhorts Gaius to send him on his way, send them on their way, and support the work of these that are mentioned here. Gaius is to send them off in a manner worthy of God. This would involve supporting them, providing for them food and money and perhaps transportation for their journey. Right? We know that in the early church, the gospel would go forth as the churches came alongside them and sent them out and provided for their various needs. Gaius would be helping and providing for these missionaries in a way that God expects and required, requires of us as Christians. Certainly Gaius would do this. And there are three reasons for why he should support them, why we should support people like this. First, verse 7, they have gone out for the sake of the name. Right? So they're, they're missionaries. They've gone out to tell people about Jesus. They've been sent out by the church to proclaim the gospel of Christ. They've been sent out to tell people about the good news of Jesus Christ. That Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And that he rose victorious over sin and death. And that all who trust in Jesus receive eternal life. They had gone out to tell people that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. They had gone out to declare that salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Right? And that, that's my plea this morning. That's my plea for everyone here. That we go out and proclaim Christ with our words and with our actions. And we encourage others in this, especially those who seek to do this on a full-time basis. So these people had gone out for the sake of the name. And notice this, it's not for their own sake, is it? It's not to make a name for themselves. So they had pure motives here. The second reason we're encouraged to support them 
is that they accepted nothing from the Gentiles. In other words, here they are as teachers of God's word. They were not seeking money from unbelievers. They were not in it for financial gain. They were not greedy. They were completely dependent upon the church to support them and help them in this. Not that they wouldn't have accepted money from unbelievers. They just weren't seeking it. Third reason that a a spiritually healthy person supports other believers is that they become fellow workers for the truth. Verse 8, Therefore we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. So when we support other believers, we are sharing in their work. When we support missionaries here at Pleasant Ridge, we are participating in sharing in their work. We have become co-workers in the gospel. Sometimes you may wonder, how can I help share in the work of missionaries? Or how can I help participate in what God is doing here in Iowa or here at Pleasant Ridge? Right? Perhaps life circumstances won't allow me to, to go overseas or to get involved as involved as I would like. What do you do? You support them, right? You encourage their work. You provide for it. You pray for it. And you seek to further its advancement. And that might look differently. That might look differently for each of us. But we can do what we can to come alongside and to help those in this way. When we live like this and support other workers in the gospel, which we might not receive anything in return. When we love one another and walk in the truth, we are displaying that we are a spiritually healthy Christian. So as we close, the question for each of us is this. Am I characterized as a spiritually healthy person? And what in my life needs to change so that I begin to become spiritually healthy. Perhaps it looks like this. Turning from your sins and trusting in Jesus Christ to forgive you of all your sins for the first time. Right? If you you turn from your sins and trust in Jesus... If that's you, and you've done that for the first time, you have gone from being dead to alive. To spiritually alive. Perhaps it looks like being faithful to the truth. Perhaps it looks like practicing what we preach, in which our actions display love, the love of Christ to others. Perhaps it looks like being generous with our time and energy and resources as we come alongside those who share in the truth of God's Word. Might it be true of all of us, if we were on trial, that the jury would convict us for being a spiritually healthy Christian? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven,
our heart's desire and prayer is to walk in the truth and to love one another the way you have loved us in Christ. We pray that for one another. We pray that for our own families. We pray that for our children. No greater joy do we have than to see our children walking in the truth. Might it be true of us that we are spiritually healthy Christians, that we are walking in the truth, that we are loving others, and that we are supporting others in the work of the gospel. That it would be evident and observable to those around us. And that's our heart's desire and prayer this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.